This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You scared. Scared money don't make no money. Scared money don't make money. You are listening to Inside the Tunnel, a Virginia Tech sports podcast presented by VT Scoop on 247sports.com. Back on the podcast here with Doug after a Virginia Tech loss in South Bend. They lost 21 to 20. Doug was at the game. First and foremost, Doug, how was the experience being in South Bend, being at Notre Dame, seeing all the historic tradition over there? Uh, it was pretty good. It was my second time there uh, after 2016 and historic stadium. Um, you really kind of feel that walking around there. Wasn't as impressed with South Bend as a town. Um, and that's the second time I've been there and had that experience. And, uh, I will say the atmosphere compared to like a Lane Stadium atmosphere is quite different. And, uh, you know, it just seemed like their crowd was out of it far more than at least until the fourth quarter than any Lane Stadium crowd for any game. And maybe that's just because it was Virginia Tech as opposed to a Michigan or a, a USC. But they weren't even cheering on, like, first downs early in the game or or on third down when they were on defense. And maybe it's because they hated Ian Book by that point and they just wanted him to get off the field. But uh, overall, good experience. It was it was pretty cold, though. So Yeah, I actually I was watching it on my couch. For the first time ever, I was actually watching it with nobody else around kind of digesting everything as it happened. It was nice to hear Mike Tirico. It was nice to hear Doug Flutie. And I didn't see too many of the sideline cams. I was going to uh, ask about that. I didn't. Yeah, at least it didn't alarm me too much if they did happen. Um, but I did notice a huge crowd of Virginia Tech faithful. They made sure to show that in the broadcast. I think in terms of Notre Dame, to be fair to them, with their expectations year in and year out, being a two-loss team already, it feels like maybe a lot of those fans that are having national championship aspirations for whatever reason have already been sucked out by that program. So I, I understand, you know, cold weather, uh, not the biggest opponent that's coming to South Bend this year. I understand it from their point of view, but from the Virginia Tech point of view, I mean, it was awesome. It looked like it traveled really well. Yeah, they had the, uh I guess, the main section tucked away up in the – upper right corner of the stadium um and then there was a few scattered few little pockets scattered around the rest of the way but um i thought it was a pretty good showing especially in the fourth quarter um when it when it seemed like tech had taken control of the game um i mean people even left there's notre dame fans that even left with whenever you know that last drive that tech took up until the three minute mark so um pretty good showing i'd say now, I do want to get into the game, kind of the pregame, because you and I were texting before the game. I thought this was going to be a big performance from Oscar Bradburn, but we found out leading up to kickoff that he actually strained his groin, and it was John Parker Romo that was going out there for warm-ups. We were texting back and forth. First of all, I was disheartened <laughs> by that. that. That absolutely killed me. Uh, not seeing Oscar Bradburn out of there, but uh, John Parker Romo, impressive. Yeah, I mean, for a guy who's a kickoff specialist to be thrown into the the punting uh, the punter's job right there on the road at Notre Dame is pretty pretty big spot. And um, I mean, he did pretty well. He had that one punt late. That I mean, he was he was fired up after that, and so it was a sideline. Um, got put, I think. I think early in the game they got put in a tough spot uh, punting from his own end zone on one of the early drives and uh that was the punt I think he I think he got it to like the 45 or something and they brought it back to the 26 or 28 yard line for their first touchdown drive so tough spot after that um but 
as far as replacing the legend Oscar Bradburn. And obviously thoughts and prayers go out to Oscar Bradburn. I, I imagine it's a tough, I mean, a groin injury sounds like a tough injury for a punter to have. Um, so you just hope that he can get back as soon as possible. Yeah, and for Oscar Bradburn, obviously in the conversation for the Ray Guy Award, if there's any national awards to be won this year by Virginia Tech players, that's probably the most likely at this point. Uh, but he's got to get more action out of there. So I, th- I think he'll be fine. I think it was precautionary. Obviously, it happened Thursday, so you don't want to risk him on that Saturday. Uh, but hopefully in time for a week, he'll be back. Um, had to mention Oscar Bradburn, but we can go into probably what set the tone, the decision to start Quincy Patterson. And this one for me was very interesting because we've been talking about it for a long time that if Hendon isn't good to go, the no brainer is to switch to Quincy Patterson. It's how Brad Cornelson has been running the offense recently. You kind of need that dual threat quarterback, but this one was kind of perplexing just because of how Justin Fuente was so open to the media about how Hendon Hooker looked like he was on his way back and we knew that he practiced and took a bulk of the reps. And then it seemed like a very last minute decision to start Quincy Patterson. And for me, that kind of set my expectations a bit lower for Virginia tech in this game. Yeah, I think, I mean, Quinte's talked about it, just how he didn't think or he didn't feel comfortable putting hooker out there without having the full, set of reps that he normally would have had. Um, and, you know, on that level, I think you agree with him. He's he's still an inexperienced quarterback, which is a couple starts. So it's not like he's a guy that, you know, you have those NFL quarterbacks that will just do a walkthrough on Friday and then they'll go on Sunday. Um, so I, th- I think that was the right move for Hooker in particular. Um, if he's not, if he's not going to be fully trusting that leg and, He's not going to be able to take off and run like he normally does. Um, I think that really limits him. It is unfair to him to throw him out there in that situation if he's going to be, you know, slow getting out of the pocket or anything. But, um, I think obviously if they, if they would have known that they were going to feel that way earlier in the week, maybe they give Patterson all of Hooker's reps and just sit Hooker completely. Um, but it'll be, Something to monitor. I mean, looking back at the injury Hooker had against UNC, as much as Fuente talked about how ready or good or healthy Hooker looked during practice, there's no way you could look at that injury against UNC and really expect him to be back to 100% within two weeks. Um, so hopefully another week off or another, I guess he took Saturday off. He might have practiced during the week to test it out, but hopefully another week gets him back closer to 100%. Now, jumping into the first half, it wasn't pretty for Virginia Tech. Seven out of eight of their possessions were negative, meaning that six of the drives resulted in three and outs, which was tough to see. One of them was the fumbled exchange, which went in Notre Dame's favor. And then obviously the Damon Hazleton touchdown grab. We kind of talked about how expectations kind of shifted, having Quincy Patterson in there, maybe not having the full by week to really have all the reps still splitting them with Hendon Hooker. And, you know, maybe he didn't get all the exposure to the playbook that he needed, but it, it just seemed like a, a rough go around for this Virginia Tech offense. What did you see? Yeah, it's tough start there. I think, I mean, one of the, we talk about Hooker and Patterson splitting reps during that bye week, but I think probably one of the big issues was, you know, I would imagine given Turner and Hazleton's injury history this year and and the fact that they're, you know, experienced players, um, I don't know how much they would have repped with Quincy Patterson during that bye week. Fuente talked about getting guys like Dalton Keene and Ashby um, a little bit of a rest during that bye week, but I think Turner and Hazleton are two guys that also would have gotten some rep, a rest during that bye week, so... Maybe that start where you switch to Patterson and he hasn't had all that much work with Hazleton and Turner. Um, I know the receivers had a couple big drops there in the first half that uh, stopped some drives. Um, 
So really slow start there, and even that touchdown drive um, was mostly a field position win there for Virginia Tech. Um, so, I mean, I'm looking at the drive chart right now, and the first four possessions are three plays, punt, three plays, punt, three plays, punt, three plays, punt. So it was a, it was a slow start um, for sure, at least going deep into the second quarter. It seemed like the way that Notre Dame was playing defense, they kind of dared Quincy Patterson to throw the ball, that they had a lot of eight guys in the box. They kind of, I mean, they knew what Quincy Patterson was going to do. All he really did against UNC, and granted it worked, was power runs up the middle with Dolan Keene in the backfield. And it seemed like this time they dared him to throw on the outside, I think that's what kind of spiraled his completion percentage out of hand is that Brad Cornelson couldn't find any wiggle room inside the box, and then they just kept throwing passes, hoping that Quincy Patterson in 40-mile-per-hour wins was going to make a stellar throw to either Damon Hazleton or Trey Turner. So in my mind, the game plan from the offset wasn't the best, and clearly it didn't work. Were you disappointed that there really wasn't much else outside of the one-on-one throws and the quarterback powers? Do you wish there were more jet sweeps? I can't believe I'm saying that. Or, you know, tight end screens, using the tight ends at all. I mean, what what were your thoughts on on how the offense was run? Yeah, I wish they would have gotten them kind of those easier, simple throws at least to get him started and whether that's a tight end. I mean, I don't think did James Mitchell have any catches. I don't think he did. Um, looking back. Yeah. It was only Hazleton Turner and Grimsley with catches. So, I mean, you, you want to get him started with um, some simple passes maybe to build his confidence, but at the same time, they, we know what Quincy Patterson is as a passer and he's limited right now. And that's why he was the third string quarterback as of a couple of weeks ago. Um, so now they're trying to piece together some sort of offensive game plan that, that they could have success with. Um, and whether, whether they could have given them some better throws or not, I don't know. He was, he was, it looked at least from my vantage point, um, that he was throwing to the right person. It wasn't like he was completely in over his head and just couldn't make decisions and was scrambling all over the place. He looked like he was standing back in the pocket pretty well and at least trying to throw to the open guy or the right guy. And he just was inaccurate. So, you know, you hope you wish that he would have gotten off to a better start to build that confidence. But um, I mean, we know what he is. Notre Dame certainly knew what he is and their game plan was, was pretty obvious. It was just to load up, load up on the run and keep keep eyes focused on Patterson. Um, and then and then if he if Quincy Patterson beats him through the air, I think they would have been fine with that. And that's that's really the struggle with the Quincy Patterson offense is everybody's going to be glued into him as a runner, which is what he does best right now. And I will say, a lot of those big throws that he tried to make on the outside, so the guys we've mentioned, they're low percentage success rate but they weren't he wasn't necessarily aided by the guys on the outside I I thought they had a few drops a few plays that they wish they had back Um, and someone summed it up perfectly uh, in regards to Damon Hazleton that you know at times he's the best receiver on the field but he's his own worst enemy and can be the worst receiver on the field just because of the drops so I don't want to harp on the offensive performance too much but if you have anything to add. Yeah, uh, you know, there's one-on-one throws to, like, Turner and Hazleton. Um, they finally hit on one later in the game to turn- Turner, but that's kind of what I was talking about in terms of Patterson making the right decision. It's it's not like he was throwing those jump balls up into double coverage or where safety was coming up and over and almost making interception. He was throwing those passes to the two best receivers on the team in one-on-one coverage, and I think – Anybody would have taken that when you lob it up there with anybody at quarterback and let either of those two guys try and make a play on it. So that's kind of what I was talking about with them, with Patterson making the right decision, just not being able to complete the passes. And I think, I think both of those receivers will tell you they wish they could have had a a couple catches back there. 
also in the first half, have to give credit to Bud Foster's patented lunch pail D. It seemed like Notre Dame was charging down the field. They get all the way into the red zone. Ian Book looks good. I was very surprised that they just came out firing with him. It seemed like they didn't really want to establish the run at all. They were just picking on Caleb Farley as much as they could. He did what he could. And then all of a sudden, inside the red zone, makes a poor read. Dax Hollyfield with the interception. And it felt like that was the waking up of the defensive unit for the rest of the game. Yeah, I don't really know what Ian Book saw on that play or what he decided, why he made that throw. Um, I went back and watched the highlights that NBC put on YouTube, and I, I think Flutie was like, I think he, he couldn't figure it out either what, what Book had seen there. So, you know, maybe that's why the Notre Dame fans were sitting on their hands the whole, you know, first three quarters after that throw, because because of what Book had done recently, but that was a huge play. I mean, they'd gone 60 yards down the field by that point, and then to come up with an interception in the red zone, I think I'm pretty sure that was the first time Notre Dame had either not scored or not scored a touchdown in the red zone yet this year. They were some ridiculous, efficient stat for the red zone production so far this year. So just a huge play. Um, I think that was their second drive of the game to – to keep them off the board um, and get Tech the ball back. Yeah, and then after that play, four out of the next five drives are three and outs. Defense looks good. They weren't – they didn't get any sacks, but it felt like the defensive line was flying. The linebackers looked good in space. Rayshard Ashby and Dax, as much as I say they aren't the lateral players that a lot of us hope they would be, I mean, this defense looked fast and locked in and we're playing in front of them. The coverage was good on the outside. Of course, Notre Dame made some plays on their final drive of the half, up 14-7, to all the way down. It was either the two or the one-yard line. I mean, it looked like Notre Dame was going to take a lead, 21-7, to end of the half. Essentially, for Virginia Tech fans, you had the feeling at that point with what the offense was putting out there that the game would be over if they scored a touchdown. And a lot of the guys were, you know, as well as they did, it was that one drive that Ian Book and this Notre Dame offense using read options, RPOs, just picking apart the defense to get all the way down so close to the end zone. Rayshard Ashby drops his head, ball pops out. Divine Diablo channels his inner wide receiver skills, and he's out of there. All the way to the house, all the way to touchdown Jesus. Virginia Tech somehow, I think at that point in the game, they had 80 total yards of offense, and Divine Diablo takes it 98 yards to tie up the game. It's just a massive play, and it's it's a shame that Tech ended up losing this game because otherwise that play would be you know, one of the top 10 plays of Virginia Tech history for what that did in terms of swinging the game from 21-7 Notre Dame to 14-14 Tech with Tech getting the ball coming out of the, the halftime locker room. But um, just a crazy play kind of made you think back to the UNC game last year when um, I think it was, I think it was Rogers that did the same thing and then Quillen picks it up and, he didn't do as well as Diablo he did. He could have <laughs> done it, but he didn't do as well as Diablo. Um, I wonder if they're giving Quillen <laughs> – there's talking some smack to Quillen about that one. Um, but, I mean, just a huge play, like I said. And just that that happened on the opposite end zone. From So our seats were a little bit up. We were still in the lower bowl, so, we you know, we weren't up super high. But in, on the other end zone, the end zone Diablo was running to. And it was one of those things where you're like freaking out about what's happening while trying to like make sure that Diablo isn't going to fall or get caught. Um, so just pretty incredible play to, to really keep Virginia Tech right in the game going into halftime. And just like the UNC fumble, I was amazed. I mean, the impact of Rayshard Ashby on the ball and uh, like you said, Tyree Rogers doing the same thing against UNC. 
I mean, it's not just a fumble. It's like that ball is out of there, and it's like 10 feet up in the air. And then Devon Diablo, just to brush off Ian Book, trying to save the touchdown from happening, just open field in front of him, open grass. I think that was the first time in the of the game that Virginia Tech finally felt like, wow, we can compete with these guys. Yeah, I mean, they got they got a I, they threw the flag and it looked like they were going to get a unsportsmanlike conduct for then they just called a sideline warning on them. So I guess they were like, I guess the rest were like, all right, they they probably could celebrate that one a little bit, but um, yeah, I think that was the one, especially going into the locker room tied knowing that they're going to get the ball back in the second half or to start the second half. Um, I think that was a huge boost to everybody's, you know, mindset and knowing that they can come out and take the lead um, probably helped them on a huge level to, to have that going to the locker room on the road at Notre Dame probably felt really good. And now into the second half, Virginia Tech starts at their 25 yard line march all the way down to Notre Dame's 26-yard line. And I think this was the point where, you know, a lot of people were bringing up play calling, and I just think the offense wasn't executing as a whole. And I know we go week by week saying it's always a good play if it works. But it was third down and five, and they're at the 26-yard line. You're already in field goal range. And I'm thinking maybe take a – a shot to Damon Hazleton near the first down marker in a place where only he can catch it. I know it's a lot to ask with Quincy Patterson throwing the ball and, you know, maybe they haven't practiced that with him, but I was absolutely shocked to see them run a quarterback power on third and five empty backfield into five defensive linemen on Notre Dame. Yeah. That's the one play call I think everybody wants to have back now, knowing that, knowing what happened after. I mean, looking at the play-by-play right now, that was after McLeese rushed for two yards and then another Patterson rushed for two yards. And then Patterson gets stopped, and it sets up a 44-yard field goal from Johnson. So even if you're playing it conservatively and just trying to get the field goal, you're you're making Johnson, that was his first, field goal he's made in his Virginia Tech career from over 40 yards so that's not even that wasn't a gimme by any stretch so um I think he definitely would have liked especially you know that was three four rushes in a row there I mean I think you want to give somebody a shot whether it's Hazleton or Turner or see if you can find somebody else um because getting a touchdown there would have just been huge yeah and I feel like I mean, we mentioned it's a 44-yard field goal. It felt like the staff just wanted to get maybe a few yards, maybe make it a 41-yard or 42-yard or something a bit more manageable. It was essentially saying, we just want three points right now. And I think any Virginia Tech fan, if you're in you know, that position on the 26-yard line, just taking a chance, not even asking you to throw it into the end zone or make an ill-timed throw, but an opportunity to maybe get a first down, keep the drive going, make it an even more manageable first down or sorry, field goal for Brian Johnson, who, like you said, hasn't even hit one outside of 40 until then. So for me, you know, the, and I talked about it earlier, the expectations shifting with, with Quincy Patterson in the game. I think what I wanted to see out of the entire team is, show fight and and show that you're not scared of losing and it just seems like a scared of losing type of play. Well, and the other thing that's weird about that is like we we talked about this is that this game is a non-conference game in November that doesn't ultimately mean anything. So if you're third and 6 in the early in the third quarter I don't think playing conservatively does you anything. Like if this is the time to, you know, force a Quincy Patterson throw somewhere and see if you can get this touchdown. I think that's a hundred percent the time. Maybe, maybe they were worried about a sack knocking them out of field goal range. Um, but I think given what this game meant, given the stakes of this game, which in the larger scheme of the season, I think this is, I think there's no reason not to take that chance. 
Yeah, and and to be fair, it put Virginia Tech up 17-14, just like they drew it up. Uh, had faith in Brian Johnson, he delivered. The very next drive, I believe, Notre Dame marches all the way down, gets into the red zone. Ian Book throwing a pass to Divine Diablo. Looked like his momentum carried him into the end zone for a touchback, but placed down inside the five. Still, another big play inside the red zone. The third one for Virginia Tech against a Notre Dame team that has been exceptional in that regard. I mean, that was lunch pail D once again. Yeah, I mean, just a great play by Diablo to get over there. It looked like, I forget who the target was there, but looked like he had a chance to make a play on it. I think it was a little underthrown at the end of it. And I can't remember what game it was, but, I mean, that's another – Tech got screwed by that, you know, interception at the two and then – um take your momentum into the end zone so you don't get a touchback, which, I mean, that would have been big, obviously, with how limited Patterson is to not give him the ball at the two. I think they eventually, I think they did move it out there a little bit, but, I mean, starting at the 20 or 25, I forget what it is for that rule. Is it the 25 on that? If you is it always I actually one? do not know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, regardless, it was better than the two. Um, so, but just a big play. Again, coming off that field goal, Virginia Tech takes the lead, and it looks like Notre Dame's marching down the field to to take the lead back, and then and then Diablo makes the play. Um, so that's about the time where he started. I mean, to go up seventeen fourteen and then get the ball back with a chance to go up ten. I mean, that's the this is about the time of the game where you started to feel pretty good about what Virginia Tech was doing. And this was about the time that NBC was showing all the Virginia Tech fans. You could hear all of them screaming. You could see a few Notre Dame fans walking out, maybe a few already going to their 24-7 sports message boards and talking about Ian Book and how he should be benched. But, um, you know, two drives later, Virginia Tech is up 17-14, and it seemed like the second half, every drive took up like five or more minutes. So Virginia Tech has the ball late in the third, carries over to the fourth, it's crunch time at this point. They're, they started their drive at the 17-yard line and took it all the way to Notre Dame's 12-yard line. And again, I got to bring it up, third and 10 at the 12-yard line for Notre Dame. You're up three points. You think that's enough of a cushion right there. You know, you're coming in as a 17-point underdog. You think that you don't need any more motivation, that there should be no stress. Go for a big play. Attempt something. You're in field goal range. What does Brad Cornelson do? Run up the gut. Gets five yards this time. But, again, another handshake for three points instead of giving Quincy one more chance to win the game, essentially. At that point, going up ten points when this Notre Dame offense keeps getting to the red zone and probably terrified of Bud Foster's defense at that point for ruining every drive that's successful for them. It just felt like this yet again was a play to not lose the game. Yeah. And they obviously took the points and just, I mean, yeah, that's the one, that's the other play call that, you know, at that point in the game, just like I talked about earlier is, Virginia Tech had nothing to lose in this game, and um, they'd just thrown two two passes of the end zone to Hazleton and Turner on first and second down. I mean, in terms of needing a touchdown, those are your two best players on the field. I don't think anybody would have had a problem with another fade to either one of them another jump ball to either one of them in the end zone, and then you take your 26-yard or your whatever it was, 19-yard, 29-yard field goal, and then you go up 2014, but at least, you know, throw it up in the end zone again. Um, you know, worst case, it gets sacked, and it's a 30-something-yard field goal, or it gets picked off in the end zone, and they start the ball start the ball deep in their own territory. So um, that was the play, I think, Cornelson would want back. I mean, 
that's the play that you talked about it. You score a touchdown there and you win the game. Basically, you go up 10 points with, I think it was, it was 10 minutes or so left in the fourth quarter, I think. Um, so if you go up 10, 10 points there with how Virginia Tech's defense had been controlling the game, you gotta feel good. And I think they missed an opportunity to kind of go for the jugular there and, and put their foot down on a game that ultimately doesn't matter in the ACC. So why not go for it? Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Yeah, and, and that to me was, I mean, maybe I'm reading into it too much, but I mean, in conjunction with the with the first drive and and not giving Quincy an opportunity to make a play and then doing it again in crunch time, that just screams that they don't trust him. And, and, and again, maybe I'm reading too much into that, but if anything, this is the type of game to build up a young guy that's going to be in a super brutal competition next year with Hendon Hooker for the starting position. Well, they trusted him enough to throw the jump ball on the first and second down of that that series. So, do it, I mean, that's clearly the one throw that they trusted with, considering it's the throw they went to against UNC. They threw jump balls 40 or 50 yards down the field early in the game, and then they just did it on the two plays before. That's the one throw that... I think they trust him completely with, and I think, you know, third and 10 from the 12 yard line to just run a power. I mean, I don't even think it was a quarterback draw looking play. Um, you know, I think that was a disappointing solution to that drive. And now we got to talk about the zebra drive, the 17 play 82 yard drive for Notre Dame calls on calls on calls flags galore. I think this was the drive where Jermaine Waller was ejected for targeting. The very next play, Armani Chapman comes in, picks off Ian Book, who's clearly targeting him, no pun intended, and intercepts the ball. It's called off for roughing the passer. All in all, Notre Dame is, is getting a lot of calls in their favor. Whether they're fair or not, I mean, that's up for debate. I don't want to get too much into that, but ultimately they have a chance to make it a three-point game and they miss. Well, let's get into that rough in the passer <laughs> call because that was terrible. That was, I mean, that was, that was like right after Waller gets, I mean, I didn't see, they they never showed any anti-Notre Dame replay on the um, Jumbotron there at Notre Dame, so I didn't get to see replay of Waller, but I assume it was fine. Um, but then to put Chapman in, they obviously target him, and he comes up with a pick down the field, a classic ball don't lie moment. Um, and then to get called back for that rough in the passer was just, just horrible. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they sh- that was the one play they showed once on the Jumbotron, and everybody was like, oof, that's, that was questionable. Um, but then they, they go all the way down the field. There was another phantom holding call on Farley in the end zone to extend that drive. So just, just, just the, that was the one drive I think where everybody was like, so these referees are not doing too well in this game. Um, and then I guess that's your ball don't lie moment when the field goal goes right from 35 yards. Yeah. I mean, on both sides, it wasn't great. Obviously a lot of the calls going in favor of Notre Dame. I'm trying not to make it too much of a point, but it, it was irritating seeing the play. If you watch it live, I mean, it looks bang, bang. I, I believe it was Eli Adams that got into the backfield. And then NBC putting it in super slow motion. I mean, when you look at it like that, of course it looks like it's going to be roughing the passer, but you can see he's releasing the ball. Eli Adams is already going into the tackle. It's a very tough call, I think. Those are the type of calls that you'd like to see the refs let play on. And, and I mean, I mean, that game, I mean, that play changed 
the whole game. I mean, if that's a pick, pick for Chapman, Virginia Tech's up 20 to 14 at that point with the ball with what, eight, nine minutes left in the game. I mean, and I mean, they eventually miss that field goal and it ends up, so it ends up that they just took more of the time off the clock. But I mean, just a huge momentum swing in that game. And or, now that play. I could be wrong, but I, this might have been the drive where John Parker Romo kicks it near the one yard line. The receiver of Notre Dame catches it at the one and his momentum, we hear that word yet again, carries him into the end zone. So I believe it was this drive. I could be wrong. But that call in, in particular, too, was one where it, it could have been a safety. I don't know what you saw out of that. Yeah, that was the one that it was right before that drive off the kickoff after the field goal attempt that Texas up 20 to 14 and he was close. And I, you know, I guess that's technically the right interpretation. Momentum. That's technically the right interpretation of the rule. That's how they called it with Diablo too, when they put him at the two. Um, but that doesn't feel like that should be the rule on a kickoff when you shouldn't have your momentum going that way. It just—it was just sketch. Like you—you you sh- you shouldn't be going that way. And if you are, you put yourself in a bad position. So now you're going to be recorded, re- rewarded for that with a with, without a safety. Um, I mean, that would have given Tech the ball up eight points. Like even a touchdown and a two point conversion by Notre Dame somehow, and Tech still got a tie game. So that was—I mean that—that that was another play in the in in the stadium where they weren't showing many replays. So everybody was, nobody had any idea what was going on. Yeah. And then you look at that and maybe they don't go for the field goal. It puts them in desperation mode on the next drive when there's all those flags. I mean, there's just so many little things here and there that add up over time. And normally I'm one to watch and I understand the officials are trying to do the best job they can, but when it's late in the fourth quarter and it's such a close game and you're noticing them that much more in the game. And and keep in mind, I don't think they've called they called a single holding call the entire game. They they barely called anything, and then all of a sudden flags galore. So uh, luckily Virginia Tech escapes. You know they miss the field goal. They get the ball back. Seven minutes left. Nothing but runs. I understand it. This is this is when the Quincy Patterson offense is supposed to be on display. I mean, just power runs, drain the clock. You're up six points. You don't want to give Ian Book any more time. Third and five, they have a chance. If they get a first down, the game's over. And Quincy Patterson gets sacked, giving Ian Book the ball. Yeah, and we talked about that on the podcast last week. We were, if Hooker was playing, we were trying to figure out what Patterson's role would be. And we were talking. If Tech is up late and just needs to pound the ball, then Patterson's perfect for that. Um, and it worked to an, ext- to an extent. I mean, they picked up a – I think they got a one first down on that drive, two first downs, um, really before they ran down the play clock and then took a timeout. And then Notre Dame started taking their timeouts, which um, – kind of kept the clock in their favor at least to set up their final drive. But, um, I mean, I, I think they we, – we were talking about the last – the two field goal drives, how they didn't give Patterson a chance on third down there. And they gave him a chance to make the throw to win the game on that on that drive. He just couldn't find a receiver and got sacked. So, um, I don't – I didn't have any problem with how that drive turned out. I mean, they they – Ran a three forty is what it ended up being off the clock and took it down in a three minute range, and then when it was third and long, they gave Patterson a chance. Um, after Notre Dame had exhausted all their, or Notre Dame would exhaust their timeout after that sack, so I don't have any problem with how that drive ended up. You just would have loved to see Patterson hit one pass there and, and seal it. Yeah, I hundred percent agree with you. I think with how well the Virginia Tech defense was playing at that point. I mean, you essentially just want your offense to take as much time as possible off the clock. Hopefully take off some timeouts from Notre Dame. Didn't 
end up happening, but, you know, just, just trying to make it as difficult as possible for Ian Book, trusting your defense, trusting Bud Foster to do the thing he does best. And of course, it feels like with any Virginia Tech story, and again, this was like shades of, of UNC just on the opposite end. Ian Book gets the ball, must have been 13 yard line inside the 15 and you know, 18 play, countless fourth downs, countless big plays, uh, you know, the Chase Claypool Cinderella touch inbounds to keep the drive alive. It was like so many ridiculous moments that needed to happen for Notre Dame. And it felt like the only school that that could happen to was Virginia Tech. And then 29 seconds left. Ballsy call, no more timeouts for Notre Dame. They have to get into the end zone. They design a quarterback run to the outside. Might have even just been a scramble on his own regard, but, you know, if he gets stopped anywhere short of the goal line, you know, it makes it very tough to try to get another play in there. But, of course, prances into the end zone, and at that point, I mean, I, it was heartbreak. Yeah, it's a tough play, and I mean, Tech had him right, right where you wanted him to be to start that drive deep on their own thirteen. Um, he threw, I just counted him. He threw like eleven or twelve short passes on that drive. The one that Claypool on the fourth and ten was the only one that was over twenty yards or over fifteen yards actually. So it was like the, it was the drive that all Notre Dame fans hate Ian Book for in terms of his inability to throw the ball down the field, but that it worked out for him because he just made plays. I mean, that's a senior quarterback. you got to give him a lot of credit for what he did. Um, I know people wish Foster would have dialed up a blitz or something to get some pressure on him. I mean, clearly in a, a sack there at any point of that drive would have completely changed the game. Um, but just got, I mean, at that point, end of the game you're trying to he's obviously throwing the ball um and I think they'd lost Waller by that point and uh Murray was in the game too so they were down they were down a couple DBs and then Farley got hurt late in that drive too so um I think they would you're essentially at that point trying to prevent the home run ball from beating you and then hoping that you can get those four stops in a row and they almost did it three different times, um, but just big plays from Book kind of negated that. Yeah, I'm totally with you. I know a lot of people were outraged by the constant three-man rush, essentially dropping everyone else back into coverage in Book, having all the time in the world to pick off Virginia Tech. Obviously, at that point, I felt like it was the right move, but I wish they would have mixed in something. It just seemed like they had timeouts to work with, they could have rearranged their defense, tried something different, sent someone that was supposed to be in coverage to either spy or go on a on a blitz, a delayed blitz, you know, just something to bring more pressure because, like you said, you are down a few DBs and you want to make sure that you're blanketed in the back end. But if a senior quarterback at home has all day to throw and he has these guys, veteran wide receivers with him, I mean, he's going to make the plays, and that's essentially what he did. So I, I do wish they switched it up, but I don't blame Bud for attacking, or rather lack of attacking, Notre Dame's offense like that. I think it was it was a calculated move. And like you said, there was three times that Virginia Tech could have sealed the game, and sometimes you have to tip your cap to Notre Dame and say, you had the better play. Yeah, I mean, the first fourth down was fourth and three. If you dial a blitz there, that's going to be a quick pass no matter what, even if you don't. So you, you sit back there, and you come down to the next fourth down, and it's um, it's fourth and ten, and that was the completion to Claypool. I mean, that was Quillen on the coverage, and that's the same throw that Quillen's been beat on for every <laughs> – beat on over and over again this year. Um, that post that people just get inside on him for. So, it, you know, at that point, Tech was under at defensive back playing their third and fourth string there. 
on that side of the field. I mean, Claypool is one of the best receivers in the country. And obviously Quillen, that's a, that's not a great matchup for Quillen, um, in that situation. So tough one there. You would have, I agree. I mean, looking back now, 2020 hindsight, you would have loved to dial up something or get some sort of pass rush in there somehow. Um, or at least figure out a way to force book to go to the other side of the field. If he's going to roll out and try and make a throw across his body or something, um, but yeah, tough luck. And I think, I think, I still think dropping eight when you're, when two of your corners who are the primary guys defending the pass are your third string, third or fourth string, probably fourth string now with Chapman and Quillen and then Murray's probably fifth string. Um, you know, I think you got to give them as much help as you can. Um, but ended up backfiring. Um, after 18, 18 plays and 87 yards. Yeah, I mean, they were winded, and it it was a heartbreak. It was a shame, and it, it's tough because, you know, they were doing the right things. They were forcing Notre Dame into third downs, fourth downs. It just ultimately didn't fall their way. Football gods were on Notre Dame's side. It, it, it's just tough. Well, if you go back to the, the play, the series they missed the – the field goal on that was a 17 play drive and 82 yards. And then the very next drive, they go 18 plays. So those two drives in the fourth quarter, they ran 35 plays. Um, so, I mean, that the tech just had to be gassed by that point, trying to keep up with those. Um, but yeah, just a tough way to end it. And uh, sitting in the stands there after four quarters of feeling good to have it go the other way. And then, as I talked about the Notre Dame fans sitting on their hands most of the game, not making much noise, and, and to have it completely flip was um, pretty disheartening. <laughs> yeah, so they had 59 minutes and 30 seconds of sitting on their hands, but as long as they showed up for that final 30 seconds, I mean, it was you know it was a miracle win for Notre Dame. I can't believe I'm saying that uh, when they're at home, the number 16 team in the nation. I'll be honest, I had thoughts that. Prior to that drive or at multiple points in that drive, I had a feeling that Bud Foster's unit would get the job done and and we would see Virginia Tech in the polls uh, on Sunday. But unfortunately, it didn't. Before the game ended, we do have to talk about the last drive for Virginia Tech. I think there are multiple questions uh, that rise up out of that. First of all, the fake... I don't even know what it was. The trick play on special teams to huddle up. I mean, it was, that picture out of context <laughs> was everywhere on the interwebs and didn't make Virginia Tech look too good. But, I mean, what was your thought on it? I guess it's one of those plays that if it works, you're a genius. But I think it was completely unnecessary for the time and situation um, to to run that play, number one, they had Farley back on that play, who had just limped off the field, looking pretty beat up with an ankle injury. Ankle injury, um, so I guess he got miraculously better. But even if like that's a situation, you're down one point, you need a field goal. Like, and obviously Johnson hasn't been great from beyond forty in his career, but you'd rather give him a shot at it than have no shot at all. So you're gonna. You, at the very least, you've got to start the ball at the 25-yard line with a fair catch with, I think they had one or two timeouts left. Um, so if you start the ball at the 25-yard line and you're trying to give Johnson a chance, you know, you got to move the ball to, what, the 30, 30-yard line, basically give him a 47-yarder, I think is probably the range that you're – least comfortable with but willing to give him a shot so you don't have to go that far you got a couple timeouts um as it turned out they got they started the 10 which with patterson as a limited passer obviously going 90 yards and in 29 seconds is a bit of a stretch he missed the first throw hazelton was open on that throw he just was inaccurate as he'd been for most of the day but um in terms of what you needed to do to get a chance to win that game, I thought that call on special teams 
was the least likely chance to get you there. Even even if you don't fair catch it and take the ball at the 25-yard line and you just give Wheatley or Farley a chance to do a normal kick return, you're probably going to get the ball near the 25 and you might even pick up the get to the 30 or 35 just on a normal kick return. Now at that point, inside I felt like the game was over. Even before that kickoff, all the life was sucked out of the sideline. The team clearly couldn't believe what just happened. But like you're saying, you're playing situational football the entire time. You're making safe decisions to go for three points on multiple drives. But then when you need to make a safer decision at the end of the game, you know, I don't fault them for trying to get it all back in one play. Because if it worked, we would be having a different conversation. But the fact is, I just wish they would have been consistent with it. If you're going to constantly go for three points, be safe. Be safe with the kickoff return. Try to make a few plays. You have timeouts. You can tack them in the middle of the field. You can attack them on the outside. You have a lot of options to go for. And Virginia Tech practices these situations a lot of the time. I mean, they spend at least a day per week going through two-minute drives. So Quincy Patterson, is used, he has practiced this. Obviously, it's different when you're in the game, but, you know, I, I had just wished that Virginia Tech would have been smarter about it, and it just felt like after that play, after the special teams play, there was no chance. I mean, before there was a slim chance, after that play, I felt like there was no chance. Yeah, that's a play that you call when it's like when you're down a touchdown. Yeah. When you need a touchdown and there's like 10 seconds left and you've got basically this one play to make it happen. Not a call you make when you're down a point and a field goal wins the game and you've got 30 seconds and timeouts to work with and all of that. And you talked about how much they've practiced the two-minute drill and you go back to – Fuente talking about how he wasn't comfortable playing hooker without him having the full reps as a starter during the week. There's no way they've practiced that fumble, risky, whatever kickoff return more than they've practiced regular kickoff returns. And um, that's something this year, listening to Fuente after games talk about kickoff returns a lot, that like he really feels like they have a, like teams know they have an advantage. Virginia Tech has an advantage with how they can scheme up a kick return. Like hearing Fuente talk about it after like the Rhode Island game when they were booting it all over the field and couldn't figure it out. Like they're they're confident in their traditional kickoff return being able to make something happen. And in that point, at that point, you don't even have to take it back to the house. Like just get the ball to the twenty-five or thirty-yard line and. Maybe that's two completions and a couple timeouts, and you got a chance to win the game. Yeah, overall, disheartening game. But I do want to bring a big picture, talk about overall thoughts, your takeaways from it. I think it was a very important game. I didn't think of, about it that way heading into the game. Again, just wanted to see a team that wasn't scared to lose and, you know, tried to win that game. I think it was... Uh, I mean, it, it seemed like the with the offensive performance, Virginia Tech shouldn't have even been close in that game. And with Notre Dame outgaining them almost two times, having multiple red zone trips that didn't fall their way, it, it felt like, I mean, if you look at it from afar, at the box score, it felt like this was a one-sided blowout for, for Notre Dame. But the mixture of Bud Foster's defense, the takeaways, uh Critical plays, field goal misses, that's what made it so close. So uh, what were your overall thoughts on this game? You still have to be encouraged by what that Virginia Tech was in that position with how limited they were at quarterback. I mean, that was a classic Bud Foster. Like, go back to the days of Tyrod Taylor back before he – like his first two years, freshman and sophomore year as a quarterback, he was not a good passer at Virginia Tech, just ran the ball and played really good defense and won games that way. And that's essentially what they were dealt with, or that's what they had to do to win this game. And the defense delivered. And I think that's the main thing you want to take away from this one is 
I mean, Notre Dame scored two touchdowns in the first first quarter, and then they were held essentially without a touchdown, or they were held scoreless for three, basically three full quarters until the last 29 seconds of the fourth quarter. So, I mean, got to give a lot of credit to the defense and in terms of, I mean, that's what we were looking for this year compared to last year's. Is the defense going to come back and can they, can they return and start shutting people down? Um, you know, obviously they struggled in the second half against Miami and all day against North Carolina and all that, but then they go on the road at Notre Dame and essentially shut down Notre Dame for three quarters of football, um, to give the team a chance to win. So I think that's what you're taking away from it. Um, Patterson's got a long ways to go at his passer, but he's still clearly very talented. Um, so I think, I think the other thing we haven't talked about is the offensive line. I mean, Patterson drops back the pass 28 times, which I think is far, far more times than we thought. And he had, I guess it was really 25 if you want to throw out those three through it on the last drive of the game, but, um, just the one sack there on that key third down from I mean we talked about it all last week about Notre Dame's defensive ends and how good they were um so to go on the road against the number 16 team in the country a team that made the college football playoff just last year um and almost pull out a win I think that's pretty encouraging yeah I agree with your sentiment I think it's tough because I received a lot of flack a lot of support as well um by giving my objective thoughts after the game, obviously a lot of motion running high for a lot of people. It seems like a lot of people were supportive of the team and their effort. And obviously 17-point underdogs, nobody expected them to be in that situation. And the fact that it felt like a disappointing loss it is already a takeaway. And I know people are going to hate that and clench onto that and say a disappointing loss. Of course, every loss is disappointing. But I feel like it's not just black and white, that there's different degrees to every game that's being played and if you would have told me that a month ago Virginia Tech losing by 35 points at home against Duke is going to come into South Bend against a top 20 team at their house and essentially take them down to the wire take them down to the last 30 seconds of the game I mean that's that is an accomplishment and I think that they should be applaud for their efforts and at the end of the day I know people are going to say you know you can't just treat it as a throwaway game that no game is a throwaway game but you have to look at the big picture you have to look at what this team is trying to accomplish this year sure in the grand scheme of things if you look at Virginia Tech's history as a whole you know, this is a game that you want Virginia Tech to be competitive in. You want Virginia Tech to win at all times, of course. But in the grand scheme of the season, it's all about the Coastal now. It's all about Wake Forest. It's about beating Pitt. And it's about beating UVA. Of course, Georgia Tech is in there. Um, but, but those three games are the key games. And maybe this is a, a bold take here, but I feel like had this been the UVA game, maybe Hendon Hooker would have played. I think Virginia Tech tried to do the smart thing, give their guys a nice experience, do as best as they could, which they did, and, and do their best to pull off the upset. And ultimately, that's what they tried to do, and they fell short. Yeah, and you mentioned that Duke game when everybody was talking about how Fuente had to have lost the team and how the team had quit and all that stuff, and was Virginia Tech going to win another game? And then they go, they rip off three wins in October, and then they come start November in a game that they could have, I mean, nobody expected them to win. Um, I mean, I think everybody was pretty confident that they were going to cover that 17-point spread, but I don't think, I'm pretty sure everybody expected a 10- to 14-point loss there. That would have just, if that had gone that way, people would have just been like, that's, that was, yeah, we got beat by a good Notre Dame team. Um, but yeah, I think you covered it. Hooker, I think definitely would have played if it was a important ACC game. Clearly the right decision given where Virginia Tech's goals are the rest of the season to get them an extra week of rest. Um, 
and hopefully he can be a hundred percent for these next four games. Um, but yeah, I think in terms of like your expectations for the season and for this game in particular, they clearly exceeded expectations and showed that they're still that Fuente and the coaches still have the, they haven't lost the locker room and they're not packing it in and they don't hate each other and all that stuff of which, I mean, it would have been very easy for them to do to go on the road and play a game that really doesn't mean anything. Yeah. And I will say moving forward, I, I hope Brad Cornelson takes the game plan and puts it through a paper shredder. Uh, <laughs> Cause that was awful, but I'm not concerned with the offense moving forward. Uh, if anything, my only concern really is the health of, of Trey Turner. He did, he doesn't seem to be at a hundred percent all year. They didn't have Keyshawn King for this game, but the offense is different with Hendon Hooker. I mean, even with Quincy Patterson, he was essentially just running quarterback powers in, in both of the games he's played in with a few key throws here and there. And uh, unfortunately, this time, missing a lot of those same one-on-one outside throws. Uh, but with Hendon Hooker, it seems like they he brings back the return of the tight ends. It becomes tight end you again. The ground game is has been doing exceptional under his his reign, and uh, you know the wide receivers still put in their production. So for the offense, I'm not worried. I think it, it it's a tough test against a really good Notre Dame team, and I think it's a bit of an anomaly for the rest of the season. I think it looks a lot different with Hooker in there for these final four games. I think defensively, and you touched on it, is where it's exciting, right? Because that was by far the best game I've seen out of this Virginia Tech defense in since the beginning of, of last year. And if they can build on that, and my biggest concern with the team as a whole is you can't let this type of loss define you. You can't be heartbroken for too long because you have to come back and, and, and try to take home the Coastal. I mean, that's ultimately the goal of this team. Uh, there's been a lot of different goals throughout the season with how it started, but if they can genuinely build on this experience, I think it makes them a stronger team. Yeah, you talked about the defense. Um, they gave up 442 total yards. Notre Dame averaged five yards of play, and Virginia Tech had one sack. I think if you told me the stats at the beginning of the game and say Virginia Tech would have lost by two or three touchdowns. And particularly the sacks, I mean, that's been an issue for Virginia Tech all year in terms of getting pressure on the quarterback and the defensive ends are probably one of the the weak spots of the defense, and that's a big reason why they can't get any pressure. But, like, if you told me that the defense was going to go to Notre Dame and hold them to basically 14 points in the first half, and that's it, while not getting pressure on their quarterback, um, on their senior quarterback, I mean, you you would have expected a much different outcome. So I think you touched on it just going forward into coastal play. Um, They've got to be encouraged and not let this, you know, you said define them or not let this linger. I mean, at the end of the day, they almost beat Notre Dame on the road, and now they get to control their own destiny in the ACC, um, which is what if if you said at the beginning of the year going into Wake Forest with three other with three coastal games after that, that Virginia Tech would control their own destiny and to win the ACC Coastal. I think everybody would take it. Any final thoughts for the people, Doug? Uh, I don't think I have. Too much more on Notre Dame. Um, I think we got basketball coming up tomorrow night. Basketball tomorrow night. First game of the Mike Young era. Which should be an interesting... um, I'm sure Mike Young would rather not start with an ACC game. Yeah. Uh, We have a a preview coming up, and um, I think I mentioned that Mike Young rather start with Southwest University College tomorrow night. Uh, but unfortunately, ACC opener. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see what how they do that. Then back at it, Wake Forest looks. I'm sure we'll get into this later this week. But Wake Forest looks real good on offense. And you know, we just gave Notre, uh, Virginia Tech's defense a whole lot of credit for what they did against Notre Dame. But uh, facing a little bit of a different animal 
from a Wake Forest offense, which is kind of weird to say. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil the preview coming out later this week. Um, but I did text Doug right before the Notre Dame game, and I said, uh, my hot take is that the margin of the Notre Dame Virginia Tech game will be smaller than the Wake Forest Virginia Tech game. So they smoked NC State. Oh my gosh, it was it was a massacre. But anyways, that is it for tonight. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening, and we'll see you later this week. <laughs> Can you hear me now? Yeah. <laughs> I pressed the wrong button twice. All right, this part is cut. All right. All right.